here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. This is the best of Mark Levin. Merry Christmas. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. This evening, we start with crime. How did we get to this place? We got to this place because the American Marxist element in this nation, backed by the Propaganda media, embraced by the Democrat Party, brought us here. What you're seeing happening in the streets now, and it's no joke. Murder through the roof. Uh, this, these, these violent property crimes and so forth. Were encouraged by the Democrat Party after the George Floyd uh, killing. They were encouraged by the media whether it's CNN or MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, whether it's ESPN even, professional sports. The radical left in this country pushed for what you're now seeing. They pushed for what you're now seeing. And there are former mayors who ran these cities who cannot believe what they're seeing. Former mayors that ran New York City, that ran Los Angeles, that ran Philadelphia, that ran Minneapolis, they cannot believe what they're seeing. Just as we have a lack of leadership in this country as a result of Joe Biden in this administration, and they're pushing their radical agenda, but a lack of leadership to stand up to the radicals. The same existed two and a half years ago during the riots. This is what the riots have brought us. And even though whites and blacks and Latinos and everybody, everybody was appalled by what they saw with George Floyd. It was used as an opportunity by the American Marxists, the Black Lives Matter movement, by college students who were not going to school because of the, the virus, by their professors, tenured Marxists, 
It was used by the media to drive some kind of revolution into this country. War on the cops. War on capitalism. War on sec- on, uh, on society. And of course, the white dominant, white supremacist culture. That's what you're seeing. That's number one. Number two, this nation is the target of a multi-billionaire who seeks to destroy it from within. Who's built alliances with the most radical elements in this society. Of which I speak, George Soros. These are George Soros' prosecutors in Los Angeles, in Chicago, in Philadelphia, in San Francisco. Nobody's putting a microphone in his face any more than anyone's putting a microphone in Hillary Clinton's face over Russia collusion, which she orchestrated. The damage these people are doing to this country, the damage this party, the Democrat Party, and its surrogates have done to this nation, incalculable. And they want to do more. Through the legislative process, through the judicial process, and in the streets. And in the streets. Things that used to attract people to go into the big cities who don't live in the big cities. Shopping areas are being destroyed. Union Square in San Francisco is destroyed. You have an entire shopping mile in Chicago. It's been destroyed. Times Square is being destroyed. Market Street in Philadelphia, destroyed. Our inner cities are being destroyed by these Marxists. Why, you say? Why? Isn't this the base of the American Marxist movement? Yes, but they want to radicalize further. They want to radicalize further. The biggest racists we have in this country, they're Republicans. They're not white people. They're not the cops. They're the American Marxists. They've always been the biggest racists. Look at the Marxists in China. Who are they killing? The Tibetans. Slaughtering. The Uyghurs, the Christians. Because this is what Marxism does. It's a secularist, atheist ideology that prays to government. Look what happens to the churches. Even in heavily Catholic, if not exclusively Catholic to a great extent, Cuba and Venezuela. Really quite unbelievable. I want to read you a letter, an op-ed, I guess, that was put in the, the most radical major city newspaper, the Philadelphia Inquirer. You guys in Boston and New York and L.A., you think you have it tough? Philadelphia Inquirer is a real low-life newspaper. And it's written by the former mayor of Philadelphia, a black man, a Democrat. Written about the district attorney of Philadelphia installed by Soros, a white man, a Democrat, 
District Attorney Larry Krasner, he wrote, recent remarks about whether we are experiencing a crime crisis are some of the worst, most ignorant, and most insulting comments I have ever heard spoken by an elected official. At a Monday press briefing, Krasner told reporters, we don't have a crisis of lawlessness. We don't have a crisis of crime. We don't have a crisis of violence. It takes a certain audacity of ignorance and white privilege to say that right now. As of Monday night, 521 people, and now it's 523. Souls, spirits have been vanquished, eliminated, murdered in our city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, the most since 1960. I have to wonder what kind of a messed up world of white wokeness Krasner is living in to have so little regard for human lives lost, many of them black and brown, while he advocates his own national profile as a progressive district attorney. See, here he is. He's taking on the radical white Marxists. He's taking them on. You don't see this from a Biden. You don't see this from a Schumer. You don't see this from a a Pelosi because they're of the Krasner ilk now. So it takes this former black mayor of Philadelphia to say, hey, everybody, look what the hell's going on here in my wonderful city that I was mayor of for eight years. And my hometown, by the way. He said, I'd like to ask Craster, how many more black and brown people and others would have to be gunned down on our streets daily to meet your definition of a crisis? How many more children and teens have to die in record numbers to capture your attention and be considered a crisis? How many more moms, dads, spouses, and friends need to shed tears over the loss of a loved one for you to call it a crisis? Words matter. Impact and trigger and hurt. Words mean something from elected officials. Krasner should publicly apologize to the 521, now 523 families of dead victims and the thousands of those maimed by gun wounds this year. He has ignored the pain of living and insulted the memory of the dead. Krasner should also use his words to send a message to the shooters, murderers, and criminals of this city by committing to actually prosecute them rather than coddle them, make excuses. Uh, reduce or drop charges. He should commit to locking them up for carrying illegal weapons or shooting people. If Krasner doesn't have the fortitude or the guts to carry out those duties, he should resign and turn things over to someone who is still not trying to sell Philadelphians on the false choice of having either public safety or police reform. Philadelphians can have and deserve both. I know it's possible because when I was mayor, we laid the foundation for this work. 2013, Philadelphia experienced the lowest number of homicides since 1968. We reduced the prison population by 2,000. We reduced the number of police officers involved in shootings. The Philadelphia Police Department became accredited for the first time. We weren't perfect. As mayor, I made plenty of mistakes. But I didn't blame the press or Harrisburg. The people of Philadelphia knew that I cared about their safety and that I was working to stop abuses. And he goes on. And he goes on. You don't hear this from Lightfoot in Chicago. You don't hear it. And you know, I'm reading this to you because it's the exception to the rule. You have now a former black mayor in Atlanta. She doesn't take on these radicals. The current black mayor of Washington, she doesn't take on these radicals. None of them. 
It's an amazing thing. None of them take on George Soros. The big daddy of the Democrat Party. The sugar daddy. And all these radical movements aimed at overturning this country. Until Soros is held to account for the mayhem he has funded. Until the Democrat Party is held to account for the mayhem it has created in this country. And you want to go back to slavery? Let's go back to slavery. From slavery to segregation to Marxism to absolute lawlessness in the streets and on our border. Until these certain institutions and certain individuals are held to account or speak out, this will continue. You want to know why? The Democrats control all the elected branches of the federal government, and the Democrats control these big cities. Conservatives, Republicans, for the most part, when it comes to the big cities, they're not ruled by white privilege and the white dominant society. And if the Democrat Party does not abandon, does not abandon AOC and Talib and Omar and their ilk, people will continue to die and suffer in this country. School choice, something I and Landmark Legal Foundation and others have fought for for much of our adult careers. We litigated for it and we got it. School choice is something that would improve the lives of millions of human beings in the inner cities particularly. But the Democrat Party stops it. Big-time private sector investment in the inner cities. I'm not talking about in the gentrified areas. I'm talking about the inner cities where so many of the people live. Would take place, but for Democrat Party policies. The Democrat Party is a cancer on this country. This is their policy. You're seeing what's happening. They take the money from Soros. The Democrat Party does. Their campaign affiliates do. Their PACs do. They have dark money, PAC money, other campaign money. When's the last time the Washington Post criticized George Soros or did an expose on him? How about the New York Times? How about 60 Minutes? How about any of the Sunday shows? How about any of the morning shows on the networks? When's the last time? When's the first time? When's the first time? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Have a very Merry Christmas. ABC News. At least 12 major U.S. cities have broken annual homicide records this year, and there's still three weeks to go. Of the dozen cities that have already surpassed the grim milestones for killings, five top records that were set or tied just last year. It's terrible to every morning get up and have to look at the numbers and then look at the news and see the stories. It's just crazy. It's just crazy, and this needs to stop says Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney. This is the mayor. So you got a Democrat mayor, Democrat prosecutor. This mayor's another loser. But they're all looking at this district attorney, who is the disaster. Uh, and they passed the record 500 murders. Stood since 199. Now they're up to uh, 523. So, you know, it's a sprint to the finish. Philadelphia, a city of roughly 1.5 million people, has had more homicides this year. Then the nation's two largest cities, New York, 443, and L.A., 352. That's an increase of 13% from 2020, a year that nearly broke the 1990 record. So now it's like the Olympics, about breaking records. How about the core problems that cause this? You know, when it comes to immigration, they say, well, we need to look into the core issues. You know, what's going on? And, and these are foreign countries. Like, we have any effect on what's going on in Guatemala, for God's sakes. Preposterous. But here we know what the core problem is. The Democrat Party. Let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest with each other. It's the Democrat Party and their radical ideology. And the very people they rely on to vote for them, are getting slaughtered. The very businesses they rely on, the great jobs, are shuddering. Are shuddering. Chicago, the nation's third city, leads the nation. 739 homicides. Folks, this is the kind of crap you read about Iraq or some war-torn country or some country that's in the middle of a civil war. Not a civilized, advanced, industrial nation. Because the Democrat Party is embracing an ideology that isn't civil, that is not humane. Rather than attacking the police, we need more cops. A lot more cops. Rather than emptying prisons, we need more prisons. Whatever it takes. I'll be right back. This is Mark Levin wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Now back to the best of me. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Why is uh, Kim Potter on trial for murder? She had a body cam, as did two other officers. We all saw exactly what took place. Exactly what took place in the accidental shooting of Dante Wright. Remember this case? Dante Wright, he's 20 years old, he's in his car. Um, 
There's a warrant out for him. A warrant for violent conduct in the past. Criminal activity. He gets out and then he resists arrest. He gets back in the car. And she says, taser, 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 and accidentally pulls her pistol and shoots him. We all heard it. We all saw it. Why is she on trial? She's on trial for two reasons. The mob. They're demanding that she be on trial, and she was charged very quickly. And this fits the narrative, the scenario, white cop shooting a black young man. The scenario of white supremacy and the scenario of a racist police force. But we saw what happened. None of those things are true. So why is she on trial? That's why the Kyle Rittenhouse outcome was so remarkable, despite the mob. So Fox reports, justice for Dante Wright, reads a marquee at Minneapolis George Floyd Square, tongue over what used to be a gas station across the street from where Derek Chauvin knelt on Floyd's neck on Memorial Day 2020. At the fortified police station in Brooklyn Center, someone installed letters to spell out Dante Wright in all caps on a barricade erected around the perimeter. Why is he a hero? Why is he an iconic figure? Prominent civil rights attorney Ben Crump. He's sort of, uh, I don't know who gets to this scene faster, Al Sharpton or Ben Crump, is representing the slain 20-year-old's family following a shooting death at the hands of former police officer Kim Potter. No, he's not technically representing, well, he may be representing the family, I don't know why, but in a criminal case, it's the state versus the defendant. The state. But right before his death, Dante Wright left behind a trail of victims whose lives he upended with gun violence of his own. Oh, okay. Karma's a bee, two such women told Fox News Digital Monday, unprompted in separate interviews. The victims said they would have preferred Wright face consequences for his actions in a court of law, but also arguing that his own decision in attempting to flee a lawful traffic stop contributed in part to his shooting death on April 11th. Contributed completely to it. He created the whole environment. Caleb Livingston was 16 years old when Wright allegedly shot him in the head at the full-stop gas station on Minneapolis-Lowry Avenue. Initially, doctors told Caleb's mother he wouldn't survive surgery after the attack. He pulled through, but he can't talk and he can't walk. He suffers from unresponsive wakefulness syndrome and requires around-the-clock assistance. We're going to build a monument for Dante Wright? I pray for everybody involved because it's a loss of life, Livingston's mother, Jennifer LeMay, told Fox News Digital. I know what Wright's parents are going through because I almost lost my son. Now who now Wright was before he was killed, it is what it is. December 2019, Wright and a friend, Emma J. Driver, stayed over at a young woman's apartment. This is the key one that led to the, the unfortunate shooting. Stayed at a young woman's apartment after a night of drinking and smoking pot. The following morning, after a driver saw her slip $820 into her bra, Dante Wright allegedly pulled out a handgun, choked her twice, and tried to rob her. Now, this was a friend who let him stay over her apartment. 
After an ensuing struggle, Wright and Driver left empty-handed, unbeknownst to the victim, who believed they'd taken her hard-earned cash, till she called 9-11 and found it still stuck away uh, within her torn clothes. That person was evil, and he didn't care about me in that moment, the survivor told Fox News Digital on Monday. Video obtained exclusively by Fox News Digital early this year shows Wright playing with a handgun in her bathroom moments before the attempted robbery. He recorded it himself, and police seized it from his phone. It's ironic that he died the way he could have killed me, having a gun pointed toward him, whether it was accidental or not accidental, the victim said. It just has made me start to think, how many more people could, be, uh, could he have uh, almost killed? Driver, an acquaintance of the victim from school, took a plea deal in the robbery case in December. According to the court documents, Wright died before his case went to trial. Wright conduct, Wright, uh, Wright's conduct led to three posthumous lawsuits against his estate, one in connection with Livingston's shooting, one with the robbery, and a third in connection with a hardjacking that left a former classmate shot in the leg. Sounds pretty violent, doesn't he, Mr. Producer? Three weeks before his death, encounter with Potter, Wright and an accomplice allegedly, allegedly shot former classmate Joshua Hodges in the leg and stole his car. According to the lawsuit, the accomplice's bullet allegedly broke his fibula, struck an artery, uh, excuse me, struck an artery and left him permanently damaged. That's too handicapped. Dante Wright was accidentally killed by a Brooklyn Center police officer on April 11, 2021, approximately three weeks after his crimes against Hodges, the civil complaint reads. After that accident, a false narrative began establishing Wright as a young person. That young person looked up to when, in fact, a warrant was in place for his violations of law on bond for a post-crime. He had previously chosen a life of crime, and he jumped his warrant. That is... He failed to appear. And that's what popped up with Officer Potter and other officers when they stopped this car. And they had a routine effort to take him into custody. And he fought them. And he went into his car and he reached for something. What did he reach for, Mr. Producer? Pack of gum? Right, an alleged gang member was also accused of waving a Black handgun near a Minneapolis intersection before ditching it and fleeing on foot, eluding responding officers. When police pulled him over in April, they found he had an active warrant in that incident and attempted to arrest him. Body cam video shows an officer later identified as a trainee under the Potter's guidance struggling, failing to apprehend Wright, who slipped back onto the driver's seat. Potter shouted taser multiple times, but drew a handgun, firing a single shot into Wright, from just a few inches away, a couple of feet away. The car jerked forward, then crashed up the road. Wright died, and his girlfriend, Alanya Payton, was injured. And, of course, this is uh, in and around Minneapolis. Crump and Wright's legal team have described the accusations against him as character assassination. No, it's called a criminal record, you jerk. Why is this police officer charged? Why is her liberty threatened? She wasn't there to kill him. She didn't try to kill him. She made an honest mistake. 
And if the criminal in this case, the perpetrator, I should say in this case, hadn't resisted arrest, he'd be alive today. But he'd also probably be in prison for decades. That's part of the problem. We all saw what happened. You saw her regret. She had enormous regret. And she shouts out after taser, 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 meaning she's going to use her taser. So as not to kill him. We got it there, right on the body cam. Everybody says we need body cams. Okay, we have them. And then after she shot him, the horror, when she realized she had shot him. Now she's on trial. It's like the Kyle Rittenhouse case, not the substance, where he was defending himself. He was put on trial. Not the remaining perpetrator. What's the lesson here? Don't be a criminal. Don't shoot people. Don't threaten people with a weapon. You should live. Unless, of course, you come across a criminal who wants to kill you. So now what? The mob's going to get its way? Is that it? The mob's going to get its way? We have this narrative of white on black police against black teenagers. And it really is unbelievable. When you look at the murder rates, that's why I started with it, the program, the Democrat Party and the media, how they inflame these situations. Joy Reid, Tiffany What's-Her-Ass, I can't remember, Cross, and so many others, and they're not alone. They're not alone. They're all over TV. Rainbow Coalition, a relatively young, incompetent, low-IQ radicals dressed up as journalists. And then you have an old man comes out of Germany did whatever he had to do to survive some awful awful things that he did Soros who's exploited freedom and now tries to destroy it he's not held to account there's never any hearings about him ever because he's daddy warbucks for the democrat party and their radical militia wing that's right I said it they're militia wings Mostly peaceful, the cops, reform, bail reform. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This is the best of Mark Levin. Merry Christmas. You know, Bob Costas is kind of a dumb guy. He's been dumb a long time. He's been around a long time. He's a lib. He's a political lib. He's been a political lib a long time. Rush used to mock him, and correctly so. Um, so he and Rush from time to time would go back and forth. Nonetheless, he's called out LeBron James and Kaepernick about their inconsistency about why they don't criticize China for what China's doing, and that they benefit from China. It's a little late to the game, don't you think, Mr. Producer? 
just a little late. A lot late, actually. And you're not going to hear broadcasters on ESPN 1, 2, 3, or 12, or whatever talk about it. You're not going to hear anyone on NBC. I'm telling you, look, the communist Chinese, through intimidation and money, have bought off the corporations, NBC, MSNBC, Comcast, apparently, because they have exclusive rights to the Olympics. Do any of you who watch those truly pathetic and unwatchable programs, do you ever hear them criticize communist China? How about The View? The View. The Yentas on The View. The low IQ, stupid Yentas on The View. Are we sure... uh, What's Joy's last name again? She's such a loser. We sure Joe Behar's not transitioning. Oh, no, no, no. I don't mean sexually. I don't know. I mean uh, from low IQ to the lowest IQ. You won't hear it. Because they're bought and paid for effectively. Their companies are. And they don't want to... They don't want to upset. It's better to attack Trump and Trump supporters and Republicans rather than the actual genocidal maniacs that are staring us in the face. But I came across a little bit of interesting news, actually important news. I'm not prepared to go as far as the Wall Street journalists, but there's some very interesting news here. We saw it happen in Virginia, where 54% of the Hispanic vote went for the Republican. 54%. 54%. And when we say Hispanic, I've talked about the history of this word in the past as used by politicians in America anyway. It was a word that really wasn't used that much by the Census Bureau of the federal government to Richard Nixon's administration, and he said that he basically wanted to create an ethnic group to counter what he saw as an increased problem for Republicans in the black community getting votes. And so people from Peru, people from Cuba, people from wherever, uh, even though they didn't view themselves at the time, I'm a Hispanic per se, they were Peruvian or Cuban or, or, or Puerto Rican or what have you. Uh, which obviously is American territory. But my point is, so the Census Bureau at the direction of, of the Nixon administration decided to create this category. So some Hispanics, given their ancestry, that is, where they're from, the experiences and so forth, are more conservative or more liberal than others. So I don't like the stereotype, but we have this piece here. And it says Republicans have made rapid gains among a crucial voting demographic that has long favored Democrats. The nation's large and diverse group of Hispanic voters is showing signs of dividing its support between Democrats and Republicans more evenly than in recent elections. This is from a Wall Street Journal poll. A troubling development for Democratic Party, which has long counted on outsized Hispanic support. One year after giving Democratic House candidates more than 60% of their vote, According to polls at the time, the journal survey found that Hispanic voters are evenly split in their choice for Congress. Asked which party they would back if the election were today, 37% of Hispanic voters said they would support the Republican congressional candidate. 37% said they would favor the Democrat. 22% undecided. Hispanic voters were also evenly divided when asked about a hypothetical rematch in 2024. Listen to this. Of the last presidential contenders, 44% saying they would back Biden, 43% saying they would back Trump. In 2020, Biden won 63% of the Hispanic vote, 30 points more than Trump. 
although Trump won a bigger majority than Romney could ever hope to have won. Hispanic voters account for about one in eight eligible voters and are one of the fastest growing groups in the electorate. Factors that compound Democratic fears about any deterioration in support. Quote, Latinos are more and more becoming swing voters. They're a swing vote that we're going to have to fight for, said Democratic pollster John Anzalone, whose company conducted the Wall Street Journal poll, along with the firm of Republican pollster Tony Fabri- Fabriazio. And uh, they said the polls showed the economic issues were the main concern among Hispanic voters, drawing Hispanic men in particular toward the GOP. It's interesting how black men, black Hispanic, black, uh, excuse me, black men, Hispanic men and Asian men vote more Republican than do the women. But that aside, there's a couple of things going on here. It is the economics. A lot of people who've come to this country or whose ancestors have come to this country... I'm talking about the, the immigrants now. Um, they suffered through socialism. They, they, they suffered through autocracies that may not have a fancy name. And many of them see the benefits of a freer society, of more opportunity. I mean, after all, that's why many of them came to the United States in the first place, before this, this current effort by Biden and the Democrats to bring everybody into the welfare state. But you understand what I'm saying. That's number one. But there's number two, tyranny. Many of these people have escaped tyranny, and many of these people are watching Black Lives Matter and the riots and the burning of cities. They're, whoa, 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 they're saying, that's not me. That's not my background. You understand. People are saying, that's not, that's not what I believe in. I tried to escape that kind of thing in various parts of the world. I want law and order. I want stability. I don't want the police state. But we can't have marauders and militia types on the left, people burning, people being brutalized and everything. America is the place of law and order and justice and equality. So I think a lot of people who've come into this country or whose ancestors more recently came into this country, they see this and they reject it. And they're now identifying it with the Democrat Party, thanks to the media, as well as Biden and the others. I want to explore this a little further with you so I can articulate it a little bit more fully. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Have a very Merry Christmas. There's a lot to get into here. But I want to start with one issue that you might be wondering. Well, I wonder where Mark stands on this. Maybe you're thinking, actually, I don't. doesn't matter. So you wake up this morning, all kinds of news, and then there's this about Trump and Netanyahu from an individual by the name of Barak Ravid. Now, Barak Ravid writes for Axios, but he's actually a journalist in Israel. He's sort of the Acosta of Israel. He's a big mouth. He's a leftist. He and I have gone at it a little bit here and there. But he's an activist. He's an activist. And uh, he's got a new book out, the name of which I'll let you find out on your own. And somehow, 
somehow he is invited or asks and is it's accepted to interview our president, President Trump. I believe over the summer. I'm just thinking to myself, who would advise President Trump to sit down with this guy? Who despises him and despises Netanyahu? Who would advise him to do such a thing? Obviously somebody who wants to create a problem for President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu. And so he's trying to sell books, which is what most journalists do. He said, in the interview from my book, Trump's Peace, the Abraham Accords, and the Reshaping of the Middle East, Trump fumed over a video Netanyahu sent congratulating Biden for his victory. Quote, says Trump, I haven't spoken to him since. F him. Uh, F him. F Netanyahu. Because apparently President Trump has been informed, or was informed, that Benjamin Netanyahu was one of the first people to congratulate Joe Biden on the election. Now, you and I know that's not true. At the time, we discussed this. He wasn't among the first to congratulate Joe Biden. In fact, he waited. He waited at least half a day. So I went back and looked. November 8, 2020. After hours of silence, Netanyahu congratulates Biden but doesn't say what for. So Netanyahu's under attack by American and Israeli media. And he's the last, the last Western leader to congratulate Biden. Then we have this from the Jerusalem Post. Yaakov Katz, who is another Biden hater. Why hasn't Benjamin Netanyahu called Joe Biden? That was November 12th. Then we have this from U.S. News and Reuters, I should say. Netanyahu belatedly joins world leaders congratulating Joe Biden. Then we have this from Axios itself. Axios itself. The very same Barack Ravid. Netanyahu joins other leaders in congratulating Biden for beating Trump. And he wonders in the piece. He writes... More than 12 hours after the U.S. television networks called the presidential race for Joe Biden, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu tweeted his congratulations to the president-elect. So the very guy who interviews Trump this summer, a leftist, who hates Netanyahu, he's an Israeli, but he writes for Axios, which is a left-wing site in the United States, interviews President Trump, I think again this summer, and brings up and tr- this issue in a way, in an indirect way. So he was criticizing Netanyahu more than a year ago for waiting 12 hours, more than every other Western leader. And here, he doesn't tell President Trump, well, Netanyahu waited 12 hours, and in fact, I was one of the ones who criticized him. you get my point, Mr. Producer? And so in this piece... From November 8, 2020, Netanyahu joins other leaders in congratulating Biden for beating Trump. More than 12 hours, I told you what he said. Israel's one of the main allies of the U.S., but Netanyahu's congratulatory tweet came long after most leaders around the world had already congratulated Biden. So what's he saying? Joe, we've had a long and warm personal relationship for nearly 40 years, and I know you as a great friend. I look forward to working with both 
both of you to further strengthen the special alliance between the U.S. and Israel. Now what else? Immediately after he tweets out to Joe Biden a congratulations for which he is said to be late in the United States and the Israeli press over a half a day late. Why? Why Why is he waiting? What's going on? What's with Netanyahu? Meaning he's too close to Trump. He immediately tweets out, right after he tweets out to Biden, appreciation to President Trump. Now, the only reason I can think, and I haven't talked to President Trump about this, I'd like to, the only reason I can think that President Trump would have reacted the way he did is that people around him are lying about Netanyahu. If people around him in November, either with his campaign or on his staff, at a relatively high level, were telling President Trump at the time, look at this Netanyahu, people who don't like Netanyahu, look how he's, he's coddling to Biden, look how fast out of the box he came, one of the earliest, one of the first to acknowledge Biden, when in fact he was one of the last. That's the public record, I just read it to you. They're trashing Netanyahu because he belatedly joins other world leaders, or he's late. What's he waiting for? Why was he silent so long? And I'm just telling you what they're saying. And so the only thing I can think of is that somebody or somebody's told President Trump that somehow Netanyahu was the first or one of the earliest ones out of the box and was probably telling him that they, he was gleeful about a Biden quote-unquote victory. It's all false. It's not true. Israel's PM waited 12 hours to congratulate, I'm reading, the victors and thank Trump for taking U.S.-Israel ties to unprecedented heights as Israeli lawmakers across the political spectrum expressed their well wishes. And he was late, Netanyahu, they say. Waited 12 hours before congratulating. And the man who wrote this book and wanted to create hype is the guy... This would be the equivalent of letting Bob Woodward into Mar-a-Lago this summer to interview the president. Because that means somebody suggested to President Trump that he should sit down for an interview with this guy. With this Barack Ravid. And here's the dirty little secret. Everybody knows Barack Ravid is the recipient of leaks, both in the United States and in Israel, of people who are trying to undermine Netanyahu, even people in our own government. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. I've done a little work on this today. And everybody knows or thinks they know which individual or individuals are behind this. So I would take this with a grain of salt. Obviously a lot of you who are fans of both men, as am I, were rather shocked by this. And I've kind of broken it down for you. Took a close look, pulled up what what, what exactly did Netanyahu do? What exactly did he say? Because I thought when we discussed it a year or more ago, I pointed out that he was taking heat because he was he was basically sitting on his hands and waiting. 
That's exactly what occurred with Netanyahu. So what about all those foreign leaders before Netanyahu who congratulated Joe Biden? They didn't get an FU because somebody was spinning propaganda, I believe, to President Trump. And this guy, Barack Ravid, was more than happy to take advantage of it. In other words, a setup. A setup. I think I know the individual or individuals who were involved based on what I was digging out information today in Israel and the United States. Barack Ravid knows what he did. And so let me suggest this. Let me get the name of his book. I will mention it, and then I will encourage you not to purchase it. Trump's peace, the Abraham Accords, and the reshaping of the Middle East. Don't let that relatively benign or even positive title mislead you. If you're interested in this subject, do not read it through the eyes and the words of the modern-day Bob Woodward. Because this guy's a creep. An absolute creep. I'll be right back. in. Mark Levin wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Now back to the best of me. All right. This issue of inflation. What is inflation? Anybody know what inflation is? It's when money's worth less. Open your microphone, Richie. Richie, who subs from time to time, good man, smart guy. You said inflation is when money is worth less. Why is it worth less? Because you need more dollars to buy the same old stuff. You need more dollars to buy the same thing. Why do you need more dollars to buy the same thing? Because the currency's lost its value. Because they keep printing more dollars. And so a dollar's not worth what it used to be. You're exactly right. We came off the gold standard during the Depression. We came off the silver standard when Richard Nixon was president. So there is no standard. None. So the paper dollar is not based on anything. It's not based on any value. They took about the full credit, the full faith and credit of the United States government. The full faith and credit clause really doesn't have anything to do with generally the United States government and the general United States debt. It's very specific. That was passed as part of the uh, post-Civil War amendments. And it was full faith and credit the United States will pay its debt to those that it owes money. It's nothing to do with printing money. It's nothing to do with printing money. Now the problem with inflation is it's one of the most difficult things to tame once it's out of the box. Now, it's not like yesterday I decided to do a radio show and this is the first time you've heard me. I've been on the radio a long time now. A long time. And we've talked about this issue of inflation. Even when the Republicans in Congress and President Trump were spending and spending and spending. But at least there you could make the argument, <clears throat> excuse me, that the economy had shut down. We had the pandemic. This was something totally unique in modern times. They were trying to figure out how to handle it. You can agree with it or disagree with it. That's different than what the Democrats are doing today. Donald Trump was not trying to fundamentally alter this nation, to transform it into something that is not capitalist, that is not Republican, small r, 
The Democrats are. And when you do such a thing, you create poverty. You create poverty whether it's China, whether it's Cambodia, whether it's Venezuela. You create poverty whether it's Cuba. You create poverty when you take an economy and you yank it off its moorings. When you yank it off its pilings. Because you think you know better, or your party thinks you know better, how to rearrange our economy and society. There's never enough money to pay for an abstraction. There's never enough money to pay for a theory. And Marxism is an ideology. It's not a reality. Even where it's most aggressively practiced, it's unachievable. Because it will always be unachievable. It's an idea, and a lousy idea. It's not based on human experience. It's not based on human nature. It's not based on eternal truths. It's based on basically two men sitting down, stealing from Hegel, stealing from Rousseau, coming up with a material-based argument, which sounds great. Not to me, but to some people. And it's practiced in different forms, in a very, very aggressive form, as you can see, where there's genocide and so forth. Or is it practiced in the United States, in American form? Which is still developing. Which is still spreading like a cancer in the body politic. We're having a surge in inflation. Not because inflation comes as a matter of routine. Because if you don't follow the laws of economics, the economy falls. If you don't follow the laws of physics, you fall. Things fall. So economics can be made complicated, but in many respects, it's relatively simple. You think about it. It's relatively simple. You don't have to be an economics person. You can be a cop. You can be a bus driver. You can be a janitor, slip and fall lawyer, a doctor, and understand supply and demand. And understand that you cannot deficit spend each year, create this massive debt for which there's no way to pay, keep interest rates artificially low, so the spending side, whether it's the consumer side or the government side, acts as if nothing's going on. You create a false economic world, which eventually catches up with you. So what am I talking about? Ladies and gentlemen... We have the highest inflation rate this month that we've had in 40 years. 40 years. And it was made by Joe Biden and the Democrats. And I want to explain it more when I return. This is the best of Mark Levin. Merry Christmas. Mark Levin. Tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Let's talk about the fundamentals, what we expect from the federal government. Not the what the federal government expects from us. Which unfortunately seems to be the, the attitude these days. But what do we expect from the federal government? To keep the nation safe, right? 
which includes securing the border, making sure our military is second to none, and making sure our streets are safe in cooperation with state and local authorities. We expect the federal government to ensure that we have a strong currency and that the federal government doesn't take steps that will bankrupt the nation, our children and our grandchildren and generations yet born. We don't expect under our Constitution a lot from the federal government. Now what are we getting from the federal government? More than a lot. It's in our bedrooms, it's in our face, it's in our place of work, it's in our automobiles, it's in our food. The federal government's ubiquitous. And we all acquiesce to this. It's ubiquitous. And it seems to me the more ubiquitous it becomes, the bigger the welfare state, the more power in centralized Washington, D.C., the bigger the bureaucracy, the more confiscatory the taxes, the more oppressive the regulations, the more incompetent it becomes. And its answer is always the same thing. We need more resources. We need more power. In order to accomplish these these great things, like free health care, free school, no debt, Shangri-La, paradise. And the problem we have is the people who don't conform, whether it's people who don't get vaccines, whether it's people who resist in other ways that, that the federal government demands conformity and uniformity. People who talk too much on the internet and go on there and actually express their perverse views, tend to disagree with us in the government, our medical experts in the government, and on and on and on. So as they tighten the fist around free speech, around freedom of association, around the private economy, around private property rights, around mobility, the core and fundamental principles of a free society, they blame you the people who have less and less to say about what's going on for their failures. And hence, you need to surrender more. More of what? Of everything. And you need to shut your mouth. Hence, cancel culture and so forth. Now, we have this massive inflation. There's something that's happening with this administration that's happened with other administrations, but particularly pernicious in this administration. What am I talking about? The lies. The attempt to persuade you that the truth isn't the truth. The attempt to persuade you that when you see inflation, it's not really a big deal. It's transitory, we heard that. It's temporary, we heard that. It'll be over in a few months, we heard that. Now it's serious. And the answer, which is why I had a little back and forth with Mr. Call Screener, Richie, without without prepping him, we just had a little back and forth. He's a smart dude. 
is what? They want to spend trillions of dollars more. Create massive new government entitlements. Widely expand the welfare state. Ensnare more and more citizens into a psychology of government dependence and not work. The border wide open while all this is taking place. People coming into the country who are not properly vetted. So their answer is to further destroy the country, is to further destroy the economy, but to continue to empower themselves. This is what people mean when they say, don't let a crisis go to waste. This is what people mean, we're always going to be in an emergency situation. Because the government depends on it. The government is the Democrat Party right now. The bureaucracy is the Democrat Party. The the Democrats create the bureaucracy as they're entrenched as their entrenched uh, operation. Whether they win or lose elections, it's always there and it's always pushing in the same direction. You don't see a lot of leaks against Biden, but you saw a lot of leaks against Trump, right? You didn't see you don't see a lot of resistance in the bureaucracy against Biden, but you saw endlessly against Trump, right? And I could point out Reagan and and others. And others. Because the bureaucracy feeds off the Democrats, and the Democrats feed off the bureaucracy. The centralization of government. The problem for the Democrats has always been, how do we persuade people to surrender their liberty? How do we persuade people to vote for us and surrender their liberty? And how do they do it? To get down to base emotions. Base emotions. That guy over there is living better than you. Aren't you supposed to be equal? That guy over there is very, very wealthy. He doesn't need all that money. Our programs would work. But for big oil and big pharma and big this and big that. In other words, but for the private sector. You need to have skin in the game. You need, to, you need to go along with our agenda rather than resisting it. You need to accept our medical advice and comply rather than object to it. You need to speak like us. You need to accept our, our propaganda. You need to embrace it and regurgitate it. That's what you need to do. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Walmart. Went to the toy section for the grandkids. Shelves were empty. They were sparse. Biden says, they're not empty. Oh, then they must not be empty. Price of gasoline goes down a nickel or seven cents after going up a dollar fifty. Biden says, we're having enormous progress. Enormous progress. Look at that, the price of gasoline just went down. The price of used cars are through the roof. What does Biden say today? Everybody doesn't buy a used car. Everybody doesn't buy a used car. But today he also says, finally, inflation is a problem for some people. Inflation is a problem for all people. We all rely on the currency. 
We all rely on paper money now. Coins, yes, but paper money now. Because the federal government put us in this position. When FDR was massively expanding, he couldn't keep the gold standard. When Nixon was massively expanding, he couldn't keep the silver standard. Now, there are those, like Milton Friedman, who argued, no, 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 I don't believe in the gold standard. And the reason he said it is not illogical. If anybody was an expert on the monetary system, it was him. And he said, we need the ability to have rational, rational movement if we're going to have a Fed that can ease up money or tighten money. But what he did oppose was the massive deficit spending. And then the monetary system serving as the drug dealer to the drug addict. That is, the drug addict being the politicians, the bureaucrats, the spenders, and the the drug pusher at that point being the monetary system, the Fed, pushing money in the system, in other words, responding to the government rather than responding to the economy. And then finally, I want to make this point. Why does anybody think politicians are smarter than people in the private sector or bureaucrats are smarter than people in the private sector when it comes to running businesses, when it comes to finances, when it comes to anything? In order to become a successful politician, you need to persuade more people to vote for you than voted against you. What does that have to do with knowing anything about industry, about fossil fuel, about supply and demand, about accounting, about steel, uh, the steel mills and the oil patch? And politicians give us ideology. They don't give us experience. They don't give us knowledge. Look, look at the reprobates we're talking about. The one to fundamentally transform America. You only do that by destroying what exists. Not improving our lives. But even Marx acknowledged there'd be a period of despotism. Is that what we want? A period of despotism? Because the problem of Marxism, that period of despotism never ends. There's just too many human beings who are human beings. And not robots, who don't just go along, not fanatics, who get behind the cult of personality, or the cult of an, of an ideology, as opposed to a philosophy. And that's the problem. Bringing it down to earth here, when you debate one of these people, they talk about how they want the world to be. And they get angry. Do you know why they get angry and they don't really want to debate, Mr. Producer? Because they view you as standing in the way of nirvana. It's you. Or their parents. Or the billionaire, or the millionaire. Or the guy who drives a Mercedes. They're in the way. They need to suffer. Success needs to be destroyed because their success is built on the back of everybody else. The result is impoverishment. The result is less toys on the shelves. The result is inflation. The result is people can't afford to fill up their tanks. That's the result. Destruction begets destruction. I'll be right back. Mark Levin.
listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Have a very Merry Christmas. I've tried to put this in different ways, different parallels, so let me try this. The Democrat Party essentially consists of nonviolent riders who wear ties and nice dresses, spend a lot on their hair and so forth and so on, and they show up at, at their meetings in Congress. But who does more damage to this country? The Democrat Party or the riders? Who does more damage to this country? Who's more effective at attacking our constitutional construct? Who's more effective at attacking, undermining, destroying our economic system? Who's more effective at destroying our immigration system? The violent rioters? Or the smooth-talking, polished Marxist politicians and their Democrat Party? Think about it. Think about it. And that party also does more damage to us than China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, all of our enemies combined could hope to do. Because they're operating from within and they're using liberty to destroy liberty and they're using the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. That's what makes this so difficult and frustrating. The reason prices are through the roof is because Democrat policies did it. And their answer is to double and triple down on inflation, government control, regulations, put more and more of you out of jobs and out of business. Because that's what they're going to do. And by the way, all you people on pensions and retired and Social Security and Medicare, you think you're, you're going you're to slot? You're not. Because what happens is your money's going nowhere. You worked all your life for a pension, whether it's an IRA, 401k, defined benefit plan, whatever it is. You poured your money into various investments when now your money's not worth crap or it's worth a lot less. You understand inflation means 6.8% inflation in one month. One month compared to a month the prior year means that your money today, whatever you're earning, whether you're a construction worker, whether you're whether you're a member of a, uh, a taxi union, whether you're a retired individual on a pension, your money today is worth less than it was yesterday and the day before. While the prices are going up, prices going up, supplies going down, demand going up, the value of your money going down. Here we are. That's where we are. That's what they've done. And now they're saying, let's spend trillions more. And I'll get to that in a minute. Because what did I say early in the show? They lie like never before. Because there was a question put to the Congressional Budget Office, and the answer came in today, and you need to hear this. You need to hear this. I'm not going to have time to go through this right now, so I won't. But a letter came back that was sent to the CBO by Jason Smith, the ranking member in the Committee on the Budget, and Lindsey Graham, the ranking member Committee on the Budget in the Senate. And they wrote the Congressional Budget Office, and they asked about budgetary effects of making specified policies in the Build Back Better Act permanent. In other words, the truth. They don't plan to have a family leave plan for one year. They don't plan to have child tax credits for one year. But that's the budget gimmick they're into. And they forced the Congressional Budget Office 
prior to these requests. They forced the Congressional Budget Office to give an estimate based on that. And it came back with, well, a quarter of a billion dollars over 10 years will add to the debt. So these two members of Congress said, okay, assume the truth that these programs aren't going anywhere over the next 10 years. Now what will the debt be? here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. This is Mark Levin wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Now back to the best of me. Over at Hot Air. Somebody named Allah Pundit. Liz Cheney hints we're building a case that Trump committed a federal crime on January 6th. Ladies and gentlemen, the United States House of Representatives, no part of the United States House of Representatives, no committee of the United States House of Representatives, as any constitutional authority whatsoever to build a criminal case against anybody. Due process laws that apply during the course of a criminal investigation do not apply when it comes to the House of Representatives. And they have said as much. By moving to indict Asking the Department of Justice to indict individuals who dare to assert their Fifth Amendment rights under the Constitution. We call it the Fifth Amendment for a reason. Part of your Bill of Rights to protect yourself. And so what we have here with this Nancy Pelosi appointed committee, we now have Liz Cheney showing some ankle. And it's a big damn ankle. And she's showing ankle and she's saying their real purpose here isn't a legislative purpose. Their real purpose here is to defy the protections the Constitution provides every individual. To conduct themselves as a quasi or pseudo criminal operation. And to gather information willy nilly as much as they can to make a criminal case against the former president of the United States and individuals around him. So the the jig is up. It's up because Liz Cheney burped it up. So this is how Alapundin at Hot Air, which is quite sympathetic to them, regurgitates it. He says, everyone's understandably focused today on how Cheney embarrassed Trump Jr. and the Fox News gang by reading their text to Trump on January 6th. Ed, I guess that's Marcy, has a nice write-up about it here. This is the uh, circle jerk. But don't miss the forest for the trees. The point Cheney was making isn't that Fox News hosts are hypocrites, although they are. The point is that the president's own family and allies were pleading with him while the riot was unfolding to do something, yet he did nothing for hours. Everyone around him treated it like an emergency, not him. All right, let's stop right there. Liz Cheney just demonstrated that there was no conspiracy. 
that they circle around President Trump, including family members and friends. We're not part of a pre-planned strategy or event towards an insurrection. If they're urging the president to do something, to say something. Now, here's the issue. Well, before I jump ship here, he says, a la pundit, was that a crime? Watch the end of this clip, starting at 3. Trump may or may not have expected that the rally he held on the morning of January 6th would lead to a riot. Now, you see, all the information they have so far shows that Trump was not involved in an insurrection. The committee's digging into that. What Cheney's suggesting here, though, is something more akin to being an accessory after the fact. Even if Trump didn't intend to incite a riot, did he sit on his hands in the Oval Office while it played out in the expectation that the violence might prevent Congress from ratifying Biden's victory? All right, let's, let's stop there. The hallucinations that apparently are taking place with this guy, a la pundit. Sounds racist, doesn't it? And uh, hot air. If this guy and this site were co- so concerned about protecting the Capitol building, why is he focused on the President of the United States? Why is he focused on the President of the United States at the time, Donald Trump? What's missing here from his ramblings? What's missing here, ladies and gentlemen? Donald Trump had offered ten to 20,000 National Guardsmen to help protect the Capitol building without prodding by anybody. Cash Patel, who was the Chief of Staff to the Secretary of Defense, said so. And when I interviewed him, oh, a Fox host, Life, Liberty, and Levin, he said when they contacted Nancy Pelosi... And asked her what she needed. She said, we need to open the cafeteria. The members need food. The question is, what did Nancy Pelosi know? We know that the FBI, we know that the NYPD had some heads up. We know the Norfolk office of the FBI alerted Maine Justice and learned, alerted the uh, office of Chris Ray, the FBI director. How do we know that? Because it's already been uh, discussed. And Chris Ray said he didn't get around to reading the memo. And what did Nancy Pelosi know? And what did Nancy Pelosi do? We don't know. She did damn little, that much we know. Why? Because this committee's being used to cover up her trails. Because this committee was appointed by her. Because this committee is leaking to the press. What did Nancy Pelosi know and when did she know? Why don't they issue subpoenas against Nancy Pelosi? Why? These are good little boot-stepping soldiers for Nancy Pelosi, including that head case, Kingsinger, and the other head case, Cheney. Trump sat on his hands, but he had offered her National Guardsmen. The question is, what did Cheney do? Excuse me, the question is, what did Pelosi do? Who was in charge of security? 
Jose Baglieri notes, whoever the hell that is, that Cheney's words there are clearly chosen carefully. 18 United States Code, Section 1505, obstruction of proceedings before departments, agencies, and committees. What does it say? Whoever corruptly or by threats or force or by any threatening letter or communication influences, obstructs, or impedes or endeavors to influence, obstruct, or impede the due and proper administration of the law under which any pending proceeding is being had before any department or agency of the United States is a crime. Well, that's so stupid, but I have to comment on it. So in other words... If the president waits an hour, four hours, three hours, whatever, to say something, that's aiding and abetting? That's criminal? Do they even know how the criminal law works? That's aiding and abetting and influencing? Where were the National Guardsmen? One of the strategists listed in the PowerPoint on how to overturn the election that was found in Mark Meadows' emails involved creating a delay in the certification process so that legal paper ballots at the state level could be vetted and counted. So, is that a crime too? Trump might have been sitting in his office watching the riot on television mulling those possibilities. So, he'd offered the National Guard, what the hell else is he supposed to do? If the mob prevented Congress from acting... And if violence spread, if and if, and what if this, and how about that? He could have used that as an excuse to declare, to declare what? But he didn't. He didn't do any of that. That's why the committee is so focused on Meadows' text, so this guy must be getting leaks. And others' communications from the White House that day. They're looking for evidence that Trump supported the riot after it began in hopes of disrupting the certification of Biden's win. And as I say, they're also looking for evidence that he had an inkling beforehand of what might happen. He offered the National Guard, clown. How come that's not in your piece? His tweets from the evening of January 5, as supporters gathered for the next day's rally, mentioned the size of the expected crowd and how they won't take it anymore and won't stand for a landslide election victory to be stolen. Uh, You need a lot more than that to incite an insurrection, genius. Or you'd be putting a crime tape around the, uh, the DNC. You'd be putting a crime tape around every news organization in America. With their speculations. And you know what's amazing here? They have nothing on Trump. Well, we're looking. Oh, so look all you want. You have nothing on Trump. You have everything on Hillary Clinton. You have everything on the FBI. You have everything on Obama, Biden administration. You have everything on them. What they did during... And after the 2016 election, you have two people indicted, and many more should be indicted. You got fingerprints and DNA all over the place. But here, what if? What if? What if? His infamous tweets from the afternoon of January 6th while the insurrection was happening. Now you can tell this guy's a clown because he uses the same word. While the insurrection was happening, suggest indifference at best and encouragement at worst. Indifference at best, encouragement at worst. Now let me ask you about this encouragement thing. Let's say he says to an aide, I'll speculate. I think this is encouraging. So what? So what? 
Did he communicate that to the crowd? Did he tell the crowd to charge the Capitol building? At every opportunity, he was talking to the crowd. No, he did the opposite. He told them to be peaceful. So why are we looking at texts and emails and everything? Why is a Nancy Pelosi 9-0 committee, where she picks all the members in violation of House longstanding rules, why are they conducting what Liz Cheney now confesses is a criminal investigation, trying to put together a federal crime against Donald Trump? Why is it that the losers, the never-Trumpers, from the Jonah Goldbergs to the Alapundants and the rest of them, all of a sudden these constitutionals, no problem here, no problem here, Why is it that that's okay? And I want the Supreme Court justices, some of whom may be listening or their wives may be listening, to understand something. This is a completely rogue operation, and Liz Cheney just explained why. Because they're looking to create a criminal case against Donald Trump without the usual constitutional protections in violation of separation of powers, as well as the Bill of Rights. That's why they're busy demanding the indictment of people around Donald Trump, rather than going through the usual processes for adjudication of significant constitutional issues relevant to executive privilege and separation of powers and so forth. They can wait, but they don't want to wait. And you know what else worries them? They'll lose the House, you see in 2022, and all their good works will amount to nothing. Better to be pushing Merrick Garland, who's utterly corrupt, to be indicting these people. And again today, Psaki said that Joe Biden has every intention of running for re-election in 2024. It's in Joe Biden's interest not to assert executive privilege. It's in Joe Biden's interest. Even if it's not in the nation's interest when it comes to protecting the power of the executive branch. So it's all very clever. I've exposed it here over and over again and unraveled it. And Lynn Cheney is the worst of the worst. I remember when we were talking about crimes against her father. For lying under oath. For lying about weapons of mass destruction. For lying what he knew about uh, CIA operative, what's her name, and so forth. On and on and on. How did the Cheney family feel then? How did they feel? Ben Shapiro tweeted, just to get this straight, apparently even Fox News host plus Don Jr. was texting Marks Meadows to tell Trump to talk down the rioters. And this somehow demonstrates a coordinated conspiracy to overthrow the government springing in Fox News and its ilk. Here's Goldberg. Haven't seen that argument, though I'm sure someone's saying it. In other words, he's a real sarcastic put-down artist and there's no reason to be. For me, the relevance of the text is that it shows all of those people have been shamefully shilling for Trump from January 7 onward by downplaying and dismissing what they knew on 1-6 as awful. Every one of those hosts condemned what took place on January 6th. Every damn one of them. Why don't you point that out, Jonah? What's the problem? Maybe that's why you're not at Fox anymore. Maybe you should go to CNN. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin'. This is the best of Mark Levin. Merry Christmas. We will play Liz Cheney in her own words after the bottom of the hour. I don't have enough time now. 
because our friends at Hot Air, a la Pundit, so courageous he hides behind a false name. For all I know, his name is Franklin Pierce. I don't know, a la Pundit. Absolutely irrational, but that's okay. Liz Cheney, last night at the January 6th panel, she explained what they're up to. Liz Cheney cannot explain why President Trump offered the National Guard as a precaution and why Nancy Pelosi didn't respond. Liz Cheney has no interest in getting the texts and the emails and the phone records of Nancy Pelosi to see what, if anything, she did to protect the Capitol building, which is her responsibility, not Trump's, and what information she may have had from law enforcement. listening to the best of the Mark Levin Show. Have a very Merry Christmas. This is Liberty's 911 Hotline. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Stick with me, folks. Stick with me. Back to Lizzie. Lizzie Cheney. She's not fighting with her sister anymore. No. No. She's trying to destroy Trump and the people around him. And they're trying to use criminal processes to do it with the help of the corrupt Attorney General of the United States who goes after parents at school board meetings. But Liz Cheney's given up the, uh, given up the monkey. Isn't that what they say? Given up the uh, whatever it is. She gave it up. At the January 6th panel last night, cut 21, go. But hours passed without necessary action by the president. These non-privileged texts like what? are... Like what? Send in the military? Use the Insurrection Act? But he was told by his generals, ex-generals, you better not use the Insurrection Act against citizens who are burning down our cities, who are attacking... The- no, 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 no. You better not. Who do you think you are, Hitler? What do you think you are there, pal? He's not in charge of the Metropolitan Police. He's not in charge of the Capitol Police. The Capitol Police, I believe, Nancy is in charge of the Capitol Police. The mayor of Washington's in charge of the Metropolitan Police. The president's in charge of the National Guard. He had offered them the National Guard. And this is a big gap that this committee won't look into. And National Guard presence. Go ahead. Evidence of President Trump's supreme dereliction of duty during those 187 minutes. What is the point of this investigation? Since Comrade Cheney has already reached a result. It was Trump's fault. Trump. What did Pelosi do during those 187 minutes, ladies and gentlemen? Who did she call? Did she call Donald Trump to get the National Guard in there? What did she do exactly, ladies and gentlemen? What did Pelosi do to protect her members and protect the Capitol building? It's not about if Trump had done that and Trump didn't do this. and Trump. What did Pelosi do? She's the Speaker of the House. 
She's the number three in line for President of the United States. She's been around as long as the idiot in the White House, Biden. What did she do to prepare? What information did she have? The FBI had information. Why didn't Christopher Wray read the memo that was on his desk provided by the Norfolk office? Why? In fact, where was Pelosi the day before this event? We would like to see her texts, her emails. We would like to know who she spoke to on her phone records. We want to see the information that the Speaker of the House, in charge of securing the Capitol building, was doing her job to make sure for legislative purposes and so future speakers can know how to conduct themselves. What's wrong with that? Liz Cheney's talking about a supreme dereliction of duty by the President of the United States who doesn't even run the Capitol. Now Lynn wants him to send in the Marines. Send in the damn Marines. Protect Portland, go to hell. Minneapolis, go to hell. Seattle, go to hell. Lafayette Park, church burning, attacks on the White House, go to hell. Don't use that Insurrection Act, Trump. No, 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 says Kelly, says Mattis, says Milley, and Rudolph and the rest of the... No, 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 don't use the Insurrection What is this? The media. Don't use the Insurrection Act. Don't bring in the military. No. But we want to know what Donald Trump did during those 187 minutes. His supreme dereliction of duty, says the idiot from Wyoming. The useful idiot from Wyoming. Go ahead. And Mr. Meadows' testimony will bear on another key question before this committee. Did Donald Trump, through action or inaction, corruptly seek to obstruct or impede Congress's official proceedings to count electoral votes? What does that mean? If he said to the vice president... You should not count those. You should send those back to the state of Pennsylvania or wherever there's a controversy. You shouldn't count those. I have constitutional advisors that tell me you shouldn't count those. What is that? Is that a crime? What does that have to do with the riot and insurrection? Nothing. Nothing. Did Donald, did Donald Trump through action or inaction? Oh, that's great. That's like, I think Liz has a subconscious racist problem. No, I don't. Ah, it's subconscious. Inaction. What has Liz done for people of color? Nothing. Well, inaction. She's a racist. Did Donald Trump, through action or inaction, corruptly seek to obstruct or impede Congress's official proceedings to count electoral votes? He's perfectly free to say to the Vice President what so many Democrats had argued on the floor of the Congress in a joint session in 2016 to deny him the presidency, in 2000 to deny George W. Bush the presidency, in fact, they went all the way to the Supreme Court to try and deny George Bush, W. Bush, with the presidency. What's W stand for again? Anybody? Oh, Walker, excuse me. 
course. Yes, 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 of course. Walker. So people have challenged results in elections in the courts. People have changed election laws. Uh, people have gone to the floor of the joint session of Congress where they count electoral votes and have insisted, including some of the people she's serving with, that they not count the votes because they believe they were corrupt. Is that a crime? But we want to know. We want to know if Trump uh, said to anybody that we should obstruct the president. And what does that mean, obstruct or impede Congress's official proceedings? What exactly does that mean? Urge the president of the Senate, the vice president of the United States, overseeing the joint session, not to count certain votes from certain states because, because there's conflict, there's controversy, there's disagreements. Now, you may or may not agree with that, but what's wrong with that? Is that a crime somewhere? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's a crime. I don't think that's obstruction. I don't think that's an insurrection. But I come full circle. This committee has no interest in knowing. They say they're concerned about protection of the Capitol. What did the president do? The president has no direct responsibility to protect the Capitol. The police do. The president's not in charge of the police. As we know, we saw cities burning left and right. You have a Democrat mayor who's in charge of the Metropolitan Police Force. You have a Democrat speaker who's in charge of the Capitol Police Force. You have a president of the United States that offered the National Guard the day before... According to somebody who has spoken out publicly, the chief of staff to the secretary of state at the time, uh, secretary of defense. That's all he can do. His hands were tied all through the riots. That's all he can do. Right? He should have used the Insurrection Act, but he was told he better not ever use the Insurrection Act, even though other presidents have. Many presidents have. He, singularly, was not free to do so. Well, what did he impede Congress? What did he say? What did he mean to do? You're dealing with a dope here. Now, this is the problem when you have a committee of Congress all appointed by somebody who's trying to cover her tracks, who does not want to be questioned, who does not want any information about what she knew and what she failed to do. Well, let me put it to this way. Hey, Liz, may I call you Liz? I used to be able to call you Liz. Liz, may I ask you a question? What is it? What is it? Liz, you say you're concerned about an insurrection. You're concerned about the protection of the Capitol building. You're concerned about a supreme dereliction of duty during those 187 minutes. Well, Liz, the woman you're collaborating with, Nancy Eva Stretch Pelosi, What did she do during those 187 minutes to try and protect the Capitol? How did she prepare beforehand? What did she have? What did she know? Whether it was from the FBI or local police force or the Metropolitan Police Force or any. What did she know, Liz? Why did she fail to do anything, Liz? Liz, I'm talking to you. Wake the hell up. Why didn't she do anything? Maybe Alapundant can explain it to her. Or maybe Ed will write a new essay over there at Hot Air. We're all sitting on the edge of our chairs to hear what Jonah has to say. Oh, Jonah! Jonah, what do you think? 
Yeah, bunch of schmucks. I'll be right back. Mark in. This is Mark Levin wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Now back to the best of me. Have you noticed all these legal analysts have talked about how Trump was going to be indicted, indicted, indicted? Notice it never happened. How come they don't resign out of humiliation? Instead, they get promoted. And they keep writing. These are navel gazers, pretty much. They're impressed with their own writing. You know, as I said three weeks ago uh, in these columns over here, you know, as I said here, 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 and here, where they have links to themselves, really sick. All right, I didn't forget. We already got to Liz Cheney. But let me put a little bit of a icing on this. Senator Richard Blumenthal is a senator from Connecticut. As you know, he lied about being a combat veteran in Vietnam. And that impressed the Democrats in the nutmeg state. They said, we like this guy. He doesn't lie as good as Ted Kennedy. The late, great, rest in peace, Ted Kennedy. Chappaquiddick Ted. No. But he's a hell of a liar. So we're going to send him to the Senate. But did you know what else about Richard Blumenthal? He went to the Connecticut People's World Committee's annual Amstead Awards Saturday. What is that, ladies and gentlemen? Well, they were marking the 102nd anniversary of the founding of the Communist Party USA. And Richard Blumenthal, who looks like death worn over, he went and he was very excited to be there. Cut 10, go! Thank you so much. Uh, I am really excited and honored to be with you today and to share this remarkable occasion. Uh, You don't have to agree with anyone or everyone, with any party or any particular union or organization. Uh, I'm here to honor the great tradition of activism and standing up for individual workers that is represented by the three honorees here. How do you like that? Now, the Communist Party USA was supported financially and otherwise by Stalin and the communists in the old Soviet Union. But he's proud to be, we may not agree on everything, you know. But I'm proud to be here with you activists. I remember a time when a politician did this, they were through. It was over, even in Connecticut. It was over. I remember a time if a politician did this, even the New York slimes and the Washington Compost, they'd write about it out of concern. Has a single Washington Compost or New York Slimes columnist written out of concern about this? Where's Philip Bump? Nowhere. Are they aware that the Communist Party International is responsible for the death of 100 million people? Does that bother them? Oh, we're not like them. We have a whole new idea. Bro, I see. I see. So Richard Blumenthal is at the Connecticut People's World Committee's Anal Amistad Awards Saturday to mark the 102nd anniversary of the founding of the Communist Party USA. 
And by golly, gee whiz. What's wrong with that, Mark? What's wrong with that? At least he's not a Klansman or a neo-Nazi. See, I see things a little different. Lee. Marxists slaughter people. Klansmen slaughter people. Neo-Nazis slaughter people. Isn't that enough to know, ladies and gentlemen? Is one better than the other? Now, why would Dick Blumenthal... Why would Connecticut's Dick Blumenthal, Connecticut's Dick Blumenthal, why, why would he attend such a thing? Because he agrees with it, mostly. American Marxism, that's what I'm talking about. These people are out of the closet. Talk, we may not agree on every, uh, any, you know, everything. I don't agree on anything with these people. Oh, well, no, no, wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. They're not all that bad. They're humane and you get it. You get it. Meanwhile, Dick, uh, Dick Cheney's daughter, Dick of uh, Wyoming and this Dick, uh, this Dick Blumenthal of Connecticut, they're on the same side. Don't-